Well, hello, everybody. We are so very glad to see you here this evening, and we welcome you to the first of a, of a very meaningful series of conversations and dialogues centered on uh, sexuality and uh, Christianity and where the two intersect. Uh, and I'm not going to talk a whole lot tonight um, other than just to first and foremost to say welcome to each and every one of you. Uh, and that includes those of you that are listening to us by way of our podcast this evening. Uh, for those of you that are in the room now, you should know that we are recording all of these sessions. They'll be made available within a day or two of the recordings. And Kristen, Reverend Kristen Koger, our associate, uh, is actually leading a breakout group for those that can't be here on Wednesday nights or perhaps those that had to leave midway through or missed a session. Kristen on Sunday mornings during the Sunday school hour will be making use of this podcast. The hope is, is that people will have listened to our time together before they come together during the Sunday school hour to talk. Uh, and so for those of you that are here live, for those of you that are here 10 years from now, welcome one and all. Uh, let us pray. Gracious and loving God, as we gather this evening as a community of faith, we pray, Lord, that you will guide us. We pray, Lord, that you will help us as we open our hearts to you, as we open your word and open our mouths, um, seeking wisdom through one another, but with you being the guiding force with each word that is spoken. God, we pray that, that what we will experience here in this room in the season ahead will be a time of holy listening, uh, and that as we continue to um, go deeper in conversation and even enter into a realm of uncomfortableness, uh, that we would sense your presence continuing to bind us together through um, the entire conversation. God, guide those that are guiding us, those that are facilitating this conversation, and guide future generations that will be affected because this conversation happened. We pray all of these things in our Savior's name, in Christ's name. Amen. I asked uh, a dear brother that is in the room tonight uh, who is from Burma, I won't call him out by name uh, for the sake of the recording, but I asked him, is this something that is discussed among churches within your ethnic group in Burma? And he said, no, taboo. Uh, and I said, ah, you're a lot like us, taboo. Uh, when it comes to talking about sex in church, uh, we often find that very rarely are those two words even put in the same paragraph. Uh, and so I've, I've been asked tonight uh, by uh, Dr. Art Wright as well as Dr. Tracy Hartman to offer a very brief, meaning about five to ten minutes, um, introduction into why Tabernacle Baptist Church is having this particular conversation at this particular time. Um, we are um, at a very interesting place as um, – Society as a whole, not just America, but, but across the world, in that we are finding ourselves becoming increasingly aware things are not the same uh, as they were a 100 years ago. Now, the funny thing is, is 100 years ago, Christians were gathering in basements of buildings uh, or perhaps in living rooms, and they were saying, wow, things are not the same now as they were 100 years from now. Um, and for the most part, as the church has moved forward with the guiding of the Spirit, 
we have seen extraordinary things happen when it comes to issues at one time would have been things that would have completely divided the church. Um, I'll, I'll pick a couple of things. For example, alcohol. Uh, there are a good portion of, of people in this room that consume alcohol, some of us on a regular basis, some of us maybe once a year. Uh, there are others that don't ever consume alcohol, but it is not taboo in the way that it would have been considered many years ago. As a general rule, when I come to visit many of you in your homes, you may not serve me alcohol. Some of you do, uh, but you don't go hiding it uh, in the cabinet before the Baptist preacher shows up. Now, 100 years ago, that's a different story, isn't it? That's a radically different story. Um, we find that with many, many issues in the life of the church, as we move forward and try to figure out how to best navigate life, many things at one time that would have been deal breakers um, no longer are, or at least we're much more open to talking about it where it doesn't just screech the conversation to a halt. With a few exceptions, one of which is sex. When we look in the New Testament, and, and we'll spend a lot of time talking about what the Bible says about sex, we will see that Jesus had very little to say about sex. Jesus was not obsessed with sex in any form or fashion. And yet the world that we live in is not only obsessed with it, but flat out has come to the place that it is at almost the center of everything that we look at. And when we come into the church, we find ourselves frozen in it, almost as if we were living 100 years ago, where the message that we have sent in our silence is one of our predecessors, we allow our forebears to speak for us, which is bad, 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 sex, bad, sex, bad, or shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. And that's the extent of the education that we offer our children and our teenagers and folks that live into adulthood. It's so uncomfortable that we just don't talk about it. But we live in a world where everybody's talking about it constantly. At any given moment, I'm going to make up somebody. Let's say somebody's sitting at this chair here uh, next to Mike and Art. This is a father of a middle schooler. At any given moment, that middle schooler needs approximately one minute and Google to type in one word, and he has just been introduced to the world's idea of what sex is. How does the church respond? 90% plus of the weddings that I perform these days are for couples that um, met online these days. Totally different world. Many of the people that I marry these days are living together before they get married. Taboo, 50 years ago, church doesn't talk about it. There are people in this room that fall far to the right on anything related to sex, and there are a whole lot of people in this room that fall pretty far to the left. I know you on both sides, and I'm telling you, that is the reality. And then there are a whole lot of us that fall somewhere in between. The hope is, is that as we enter into this conversation that we will do so with an understanding that whether we want to talk about it or not, we must talk about it. As a church, particularly Tabernacle Baptist Church, we cling to the tension and claim it and celebrate it because we say the goal is to keep the main thing the main thing, which is Jesus Christ at the center of all. We take Bible study very seriously around here. Our worship is not topic-oriented. It is 
always focused on God, and Scripture is the basis for it. And so I want to acknowledge there is some riskiness involved in us doing a topical conversation. But we felt like at some point in the near future, we've got to sit down and talk about this, and we figured this is the best place for us to do that. And so the promise I'm going to make you is on Wednesday nights for the next multiple weeks, we will be talking about sex a lot. On Sunday mornings, we will not be talking about sex a lot. We're going to be, there may be some Sundays that we do. Look what Megan, I went out of town for a week. Look what Megan Strollo did last Sunday. She did a great job, didn't she? Beautiful job. And she did exactly what we asked her to do. Um, So, but just, but just hear me say, we acknowledge that the main thing is Christ at the center, but we also have to acknowledge as a church, we have to find a way to talk about things that we know are very relevant in our lives. My hope is that one year from now, not 10 years from now, but one year from now, this church will have an understanding of how we want to guide our children as families, that you're going to equip me as a dad to go home and to talk about sex with my kids on a regular basis in a way that it is perceived as a healthy, beautiful thing, not a shameful, awful thing. And my hope is is that as we inevitably disagree, and I know that we will, that we will all find a way respectfully to find ways to acknowledge the complexity of this issue, but also honor what happens in individuals' homes when it comes to guiding children and teenagers and young adults. Two more quick things. I'm not going to out you for the sake of the recording, but one of us in our brown bag Bible study yesterday said that she wandered into a, a room full of elderly gentlemen, and clearly they were talking about, you know what, SEX. And somebody who was, I think she said in his 90s maybe, uh, made this comment. Somebody had asked the question, at what point do you think sex doesn't matter all that much to you? And he goes, I don't know. You're going to have to ask somebody a lot older than me. <laughs> this is not a conversation for, teen, for parents of children and teenagers. Sex is relevant for every single person in this room. My assumption is most of us in this room are sexually active. Yeah, scandalous, I know, but it's probably true. Um, Somebody else uh, yesterday, uh, this Brown Bag Bible Study group, I can't say enough about them. They make me blush every week. But they said um, it was a joke. Uh, It was basically something like this. Um, Somebody was being asked about why it is that sex is as wonderful as it is. And, um, again, a very elderly gentleman said, I don't know, but I'll tell you this. If God made anything better, he must have kept it for himself. This is good, and and it is. It is a gift. We were created as sexual beings, and the gift that God gave us in taking on flesh, sexuality, and and sex, uh, that is that is a gift that God has given us. It is not a shameful thing or an awful thing, but like anything else that God has gifted us with, we can take anything and make it selfish and turn it for the opposite of its intended purpose. And so we're going to live in that tension of celebrating the gift that is sex and also acknowledge the complexity that is sex and at the same time acknowledge we live in a world where it is unraveling before us and it's becoming the opposite of what it was intended to be. There's that tension. And so with that said, my job as your pastor is to pray for us in this process to be a a resource to you as you need it. 
but to shut up as much as possible so that I can continue to be your pastor living in this tension. The deacons have very wisely said, you should probably lay low with this and put, put the burden on Art and Tracy um, because they can handle it, and that will enable you to be a little bit more accessible to folks that may really struggle with what you're saying out loud on either side of it. And so I'm going to be one of you. I'm going to sit in the room with you. Kristen Coger has been asked as our pastoral resident to sit and be with us as well. Some of that's because she's teaching this course on Sunday mornings, but more importantly, we are preparing her as she continues to live out in ministry, and when we ship her out two years from now or a year and a half from now, we want her to be equipped to guide this conversation in living rooms as well as in church. And so we've also asked Kristen, our pastoral resident, to be here with us. And so um, with that said, I'm going to welcome Dr. Art Wright to come up. We don't call him Dr. Art Wright very much. We just call him Art. But for the sake of the podcast, you deserve the, the credibility. So Dr. Wright will come and lead us. Tracy Hartman took a pretty nasty spill over the weekend and had pretty serious surgery on her foot and is in a lot of pain at home. And so we're praying for you, Tracy, as we know you'll be listening to this and we're looking forward to having you back among us to help guide this conversation so with that said art represent you got to represent both of you good luck yeah thank you sterling um and i am sad that tracy couldn't be with us this this evening um she and i uh have been in touch over the summer and and really helped pre prepare this uh series from the ground up uh, and we ran our our proposal past sterling but basically he has no idea what i'm about to say so um Sterling, I appreciate your trust uh, uh, in this opportunity. Um, Sterling is bringing around um, uh, a couple of things for you. We do want to talk about some ground rules that we want to put in place as we approach this series. Um, I, my intention is to have this list of ground rules on the table every week just as a kind of reminder uh, uh, of what we're trying to do here and the, the kind of environment and safe space that we're trying to create. So uh, a few ground rules that we just uh, want to go over real quick. First of all, we, we will develop a safe space for conversation about sex and sexuality. Uh, that means uh, listening to one another as we would like to be listened to, uh, speaking with honesty and humility and vulnerability, showing grace to one another uh, when we find that we don't agree on things, uh, and also being mindful that words are powerful. Um, that the words that we say, um, even if it's in the form of a question or in the, in the, uh, in the form of dialogue around a table, uh, that the words that we say can hurt others if we're not careful. So be mindful of what, uh, what value judgments are behind uh, what you may say. Uh, number two, we will care for and protect one another by maintaining confidentiality for things shared in this room. Um, you know, Sterling mentioned uh, we are podcasting this. My intention is that only my voice and Tracy's voice gets posted uh, in public on the, uh, on the, the Tabernacle website. Um, but we need to uh, create a space where you all are able to share freely without fear of gossip. Uh, some weeks we will ask you to probably have a little bit of dialogue around tables. I'm not going to ask you to do that tonight. Uh, tonight's kind of a freebie um, as we're just kind of getting comfortable with this topic. Um, but... But if we do ask you to talk around tables, uh, you should assume that things that are said around tables are confidential, okay? Um, uh, and uh, if, if questions are asked uh, that do, the, the mic does pick up, I'm going to go ahead and listen to the podcast before I post it. If I think something that's uh, sensitive gets said, I'm going to go ahead and just delete it uh, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, I, I've got your back, okay? Uh, 
three, we will come with open minds to learn and grow together. Um, and I will tell you what, Tracy and I have been reading all sorts of books this summer, and we both have learned a lot and uh, grown a lot and stretched uh, as we've studied, and um, uh, we've changed in ways that we didn't expect. We came up with questions that we didn't have to begin with, uh, and we don't have all the answers. We realize we don't have all the answers, uh, but, but it was critical that we approached our, um, our research and our preparation with open minds, and I, I, I trust that you'll do the same in this process. Uh, we will use appropriate terminology when speaking about body parts and sexual activity. Uh, so, for example, Tracy and I will use anatomically correct terminology to de describe body parts and specific sexual activity. We're not going to use euphemisms. Uh, I will say words like penis and intercourse, hopefully not too regularly, but I will use them. Uh, and I think this is helpful because it's going to clarify exactly what we're talking about. We're not going to leave any... Um, gray areas or questions hanging. hanging. Uh, it also, I think, is going to cut through some of the stigma and shame that we have uh, uh, associated with body parts, especially in the church. Uh, we call them our private regions, or we come up with all sorts of euphemisms when talking to our kids about them. Uh, but Beth and I, as we've, as we've raised Julian, uh, have used uh, anatomically correct language. He knows his penis is his penis, and he knows that it's private, and that he's the only one that's supposed to touch it. Um, and so I think that um, using uh, using specific wording like this is going to help us. Um, say, uh, having said that, I recognize that there is a line. Uh, we're not going to describe sexual activity in graphic detail. Um, we may have children and youth in the room some weeks. Uh, we, we may... Um, it's, it's uncomfortable to describe sexual activity in, in graphic detail. So um, I will monitor that. I, I make that pledge to you. And if someone asks a question or makes a comment that I think crosses that line, I'm going to go ahead and cut you off. And it, please understand it's not personal. I'm just trying to help cultivate a safe space here. Okay. Uh, we will be mindful of our assumptions, uh, assumptions that we make about others in the room. I hope you'll be mindful of the assumptions you make about me. Um, for example, if someone asks or poses a question or makes a comment, we shouldn't make assumptions about their perspectives or personal experiences based on their question, okay? Uh, and uh, I'm going to say things that I, uh, I like to present different sides of arguments, so uh, I would appreciate you trying not to peg me down. I'll, I'll share my opinions when I think they're relevant, but um, uh, I appreciate uh, if we don't make assumptions about each other. Um, there are also cultural assumptions and myths that I think we need to uh, be mindful of the assumptions that we make about them, too. For example, our culture tells us more sex is better. That's an assumption that our culture makes. Uh, they also, our culture also suggests you have to be sexually active to be happy. Uh, are those really true? We're going to talk about that, and um, I'm hoping that Tracy will be here next week uh, as we talk about um, culture and the way that culture often objectifies sexuality. Um, and so we'll get some answers to those questions. Last ground rule, um, we will end by 7.30. That's a promise, and if I'm still talking at 7.31, I need you to cut me off. Uh, because kids, the kid, children's activities end at 7.30, kids end up wandering down here, uh, and so um, I don't know if you need to get one of those like stage hooks or something. Uh, but that's my promise to you. If I cut you off at 7.30, um, again, it's nothing personal. All right. Speaking of being mindful of assumptions, um, 
I'm going to share with you my assumptions that I bring to bear on this uh, topic, on this series. Um, I think it's important to be honest and let you know where I'm starting from. So, uh, so first assumption that I have, we are all probably a little nervous, probably all a little bit anxious talking about sex. So let's take a deep breath real quick. Okay. All right. We're going to make it. Uh, Sterling already said it's a taboo topic in churches and families and homes. Uh, I was talking to a colleague at BTSR today, and we found ourselves whispering about tonight's Wednesday night series because we didn't want anyone to hear what we were talking about. We were nervous about it. <laughs> but we think it's important to talk about this in churches. We think that it's important for you and I to talk about this in our families. Uh, if we don't talk about it, uh, then the media and Hollywood and the Internet are going to dominate the discourse. Uh, and we think that the church still has something relevant to say about sexuality. I'm also assuming that it's going to get easier as we go. So we'll break the ice a little bit tonight, not, you know, not get too serious about things. Uh, and I think that, um, that, that the anxiety will lessen. Uh, second assumption that I have, we all have something to learn about sex and sexuality. No one here knows everything. Um, now, uh, you know there's lots of misunderstandings related to sex, uh, and I wonder if you can think back to when you were a child or adolescent and you first learned about sex. Um, some of the things that you might have been confused about back then, um, some of the assumptions that you made, uh, or maybe some of the questions that you were too embarrassed to ask. Um, I'll, I'll give you a couple of funny stories, uh, and this will probably be the most that I talk about my own personal experience, uh, from the mic, but, um, uh, when I was a child and my parents, uh, we didn't actually have a sex talk. They rented a video from the video store, and it was more like a sex cartoon that explained um, what sex was and um, how pregnancy happened. Um, I, you know, at first I was like, is this real? This is a cartoon. Is this the real world? Um, but we talked a little bit about it that night, went to sleep, and woke up the next morning. Um, and I was still kind of – I had so many questions. I said – Mom, I don't get it. So when was the last time that you and Dad had sex? Uh, assuming that she would probably say 1982 or something. And her response was last night. Uh, um, so she was very forthcoming, and I appreciated that. Um, but I had this assumption that you only um, had any sort of sexual activity if you were actively trying to get pregnant. Um, and Beth gave me permission to share her story. Um, uh, so thank you, Beth. Um, she and her cousin Karen, Karen was adopted, um, would often, uh, when they would get together, they would compare notes about sex and what they thought they knew about sex. Um, so um, sometime in mid or late elementary school, Beth was visiting her, her cousin Karen, who re remember was adopted, uh, and they were comparing notes. And Beth said, um, I know that you don't have a baby every time you have sex, but do you have to have sex to have a baby? Um, and Karen said, yes. So that means your parents definitely had sex and mine didn't. <laughs> so <laughs> who knows? Um, as children, we were just trying to figure this out. And um, misunderstandings persist into adulthood. Most of us probably feel like we're still trying to figure this out. You don't magically understand everything uh, once you become sexually active. And if you think you understand everything, uh, well, you're probably wrong. 
Um, but we all have something to learn. If, 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 if you're sexually active or plan to be in the future, it's important to talk about uh, this for your own health and wholeness as a person. If you don't plan on being sexually active in the future, I think sexuality still affects you uh, and us uh, as members of the life and ministry of this church. Um, how do we as a church raise our children and youth? How do we negotiate difficult questions related to sexuality, some that Sterling raised? Um, so whether or not you're sexually active, um, we have something to learn, and it informs uh, the life of the church. Three, uh, third assumption I have. It's important to talk about sex and sexuality in the church, but it's not the most important thing. Um, I, I thought about this last week when I was preparing for tonight. Um, I noticed all of these haunting images of Syrian refugees started popping up on my Facebook feed uh, and on the New York Times. And uh, here, here I am typing up this lesson plan for tonight. And I'm like, wow, this seems so superficial of me um, when, when um, so many difficult things are going on in the world. Um, but we do think it's important. We're still going to talk about it. Uh, we still claim that this is something that the church needs to talk about. Having said that, there are four pillars within the life of our church, uh, worship, fellowship, mission, and discipleship. You won't hear me or Tracy advocate that we add a fifth pillar to the church, uh, uh, right? Okay. Uh, those things are the most important things, and we, we say often that worship is the most important thing. So we want to give this topic its proper due, but we, would, we don't want to overemphasize it here. Uh, and we recognize that's a hard balance to find, especially in our culture that does so often overemphasize it. Okay. Uh, another assumption, we each have different backgrounds and contexts and different life experiences that we're bringing to the conversation. So here are some of the assumptions that I have uh, about our different backgrounds. Some of us in this room are married and sexually active. Some of us are married and not sexually active. Some of us are unmarried and sexually active, and some of us are unmarried and not sexually active. I'm assuming that some of us in this room have experienced sexual violence. I'm assuming that some of us have experienced a lack of sexual attraction to others or, some, uh, or asexuality. I'm assuming that people in this conversation have felt same-sex attraction or sexual frustration and so on and so on. We bring a myriad of different life experiences to this conversation. Um, I'm also assuming that we feel very different things when the topic of sex comes up. Some of us feel shame for whatever reason. Some of us have very positive feelings about sex and sexuality. Some of us wish we had made different decisions about sex in the past. Um, some of us wish we had more opportunities for healthy sexual expression. Sex is complicated. We have to acknowledge and, and assume that we're not all starting from the same place in this conversation. I want to acknowledge very briefly my own personal context. Uh, I am male. I consider myself heterosexual. I'm married. Uh, I do have a young child. Uh, and I grew up in a household that was fairly proactive in sharing information about sex and sexuality and fairly open to questions that we had, as, as is evidenced by the story that I shared. Um, but I appreciate my parents for that. And um, uh, I think it was a, 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 good, a good way uh, to go. Um, I was taught a moderate to, I would say, a moderate to conservative sexual ethic. As a child, my parents certainly encouraged but didn't mandate sexual abstinence until marriage. Um, so this is part of my um, context and where I'm, uh, my family of origin. 
okay? Uh, five, we have different opinions about sex and sexuality. Now, there's a tendency to villainize or even demonize fellow Christians who disagree with us about various things. Um, I'm, my hunch is that some of us in this room uh, thought that Kim Davis was a hero. Some of us think that she was a lunatic, uh, and probably all along the spectrum in between. Um, Sterling already said there's, there are folks that attend our church that are very far over here and folks that are very far over here and a lot of folks in between. So I'm assuming as we enter this conversation, we have different opinions. I think that's okay. We value diversity here. We have diversity of ethnic background, uh, theology, age, uh, political p position, and so forth. And we as Christians are not united based on the peculiarities of our individual beliefs. Uh, we don't call ourselves brother and sister because we all believe the exact same things. I actually assume that we as a pastoral staff don't agree theologically on everything. I think if Sterling and I sat down, we could find a lot of things that we disagree on. Uh, I assume and actually know for a fact Beth and I don't agree theologically on everything. Uh, interesting, you know, and we're, we're married, and that works pretty well. Um, but I also assume we all value the Bible and are using the Bible to form these opinions. So the Bible is our starting point together. We're reading it. Uh, we're trying to understand and grapple with it together. Uh, we may come out on the other side with different opinions, but, but, but this is one of the unifying forces we have. We're all attempting to read the Bible. We also have two, I think the biggest two things in common, worship of God and faith in Christ. These are infinitely greater than whatever theological differences we might have. Moreover, our fundamental identity as Christians is rooted in our baptism, not our beliefs or experiences related to sexuality. Can I say that one more time? Our fundamental identity as Christians is rooted in our baptism, not in our beliefs or experiences related to sexuality. I believe, uh, and this is a, a Baptist perspective too, we each bear responsibility for making our own decisions. Uh, so, so Tracy and I are going to give it our best shot. We're going to um, try to um, share as best as we can what the Bible says, what culture says, what biology tells us. Um, but then the responsibility is on you to go home and um, either have uh, a heart-to-heart -heart with yourself or a significant conversation with, uh, with your family. And then you have to make your own decision about about uh, significant decisions, whether or not we use contraception, whether or not we have premarital or postmarital sex. Okay, so um, Tracy and I will not uh, relieve you of the burden of of making those decisions yourselves. Uh, a couple more, and then I'm going to pause for questions and comments. Um, six. We all make decisions about sex and sexuality based on a number of sources and resources. Uh, I already mentioned the Bible. I'm assuming that uh, most of us think that the Bible is an important source of uh, understanding what it means to be sexual creatures. Two, we also make decisions based on science. What does biology tell us about what it means to be sexual people? What does social science tell us? Three, uh, we make decisions based on our own experiences, our own families of origin, our personal history and experience. Uh, we make decisions based on our cultural context. We do know that sexual expression is culturally conditioned. Um, uh, I, I was struggling to come up with an example. There are tons. Um, but, uh, you know, in our culture, at least historically, it was uh, 
assumed that, that women would be more passive partners in sexual activity. In some cultures, women are actually encouraged to be uh, more aggressive uh, in sexual a activity, and that's based on cultural context, okay? Uh, so I'm assuming that we're bringing our, our experiences uh, as we make these decisions. Fourth here is tradition. We make our decisions based on Christian tradition, uh, our experiences of what the church has told us about sex and sexuality, okay? So biblical texts, science, experience, and tradition. Last assumption that I'm going to state explicitly, um, bodies are good, uh, and God cares what we do with them. Megan said on Sunday, um, we need to find ways to embrace God's creation. We need to find ways to embrace ourselves as God's creation. There has certainly been a tendency within the Christian church to denigrate bodies uh, so that bodies are bad, souls are good, um, and, and then sex becomes a sort of necessary evil uh, or only good when the goal is procreation but never pleasure. Um, and the, the origin of this sort of philosophy, um, to the best of my knowledge, is actually um, in Greek philosophy, not biblical texts. Uh, Plato, Plato and Pl Platonic uh, philosophy uh, advanced this idea that um, bodies are bad. One day we'll surpass our bodies. We'll move on from the material world. Soul is good. Spirit is good. Um, so thus body is bad. Um, soul is good. But when we look at the creation story, uh, and in Genesis, and again, Megan drew attention to this on Sunday, God pronounces the created world good. Uh, we see mutuality between partners, sexuality intended for pleasure. We can also uh, fast forward to the New Testament where uh, God takes on flesh. Uh, God becomes incarnate in Jesus. And so this, uh, this image of Jesus coming in the flesh uh, suggests God's affirmation of physical bodies, God's, God's thumbs up towards physical bodies and what it means to be a whole person, even a sexual person. And when we look in the New Testament, what it says uh, about the end of all things, the redemption uh, and, and, and restoration of all creation, we see God not discarding creation, but actually making, renewing creation, making creation whole again. So, um, so when we read biblical texts, we very much see that bodies are good, creation is good, uh, and, and uh, it's a beautiful thing. All right. Those are uh, the, the ground rules and the assumptions that, that I'm giving you. Um, I wonder if you have a couple of more, a couple of questions or comments that we might raise uh, before we start to put some big questions on the table. So are there just one or two questions or comments? Uh, anything you think I'm missing from the ground rules or any assumption that I'm missing? Uh, quite honestly, a lot of it is just the fact that um, gay marriage has been on the radar uh, of uh, our country and societies all over the world. F you know, increasingly that conversation has come up over and over and as the staff and the deacons began talking about that, we started to see the wisdom in taking a step backwards and saying it seems wrong to hyper-focus conversation when this is really something that needs, you know, we really need to take a step and talk about the big picture before we start talking about. Uh, and so on, that's an honest response to the question of what was the genesis of this conversation. 
It's also a course, uh, Tracy Hartman and I had the blessing of attending something that Richmond Hill and Virginia Union University co-sponsored their theology school last January. It was a week-long, all-day thing, and it was this wonderfully eclectic group, and this was the topic, and we both walked away thinking we really need to find a way to facilitate this conversation. Uh, and last but not least is what I was hinting at earlier, which is just even as a dad, I find myself struggling with how to talk about sex with my kids because my parents didn't really ever talk about it with me. My dad had that one very brief talk, uh, and he closed it up as soon as humanly possible. And so some of it is just feeling like we need to be equipping families on uh, how to talk about this. And so that would be the response. Yeah, thank you. Um, and to be honest, two of the weeks I'm most excited about are when we are going to um, uh, give it our best shot in equipping you all uh, and, and myself and Beth and others outside of this room uh, for how to talk to your children and youth about sex and sexuality. And um, I'll just give uh, you a brief clue. Um, a big component of that is there's not a talk, there's talks. Uh, so this is a, an ongoing conversation uh, almost from birth. Uh, you know, there are things that we've already talked to Julian about in terms of privacy and so forth. So, um, but yeah, I'm excited about that. Here's the, here's some of the big questions that I'm bringing, uh, at least in my mind, to the conversation. Uh, and as I look back over the, <coughs> over the, the calendar, these are some of the big questions that we're gonna, that are gonna keep coming up, I think. <coughs> so question one, what is sex? Uh, uh, assuming that it's more than just intercourse, um, what, what, what are we labeling with this word when we talk about it? You know, s surveys suggest that a majority of youth don't think of oral sex as sex. Uh, is that sex? Should we consider it sex? Um, are there other things? Um, I, um, holding hands with someone can be sexual in nature. Uh, certainly kissing can be sexual in nature. So uh, how are we defining this kind of, um, what at times feels like a very amorphous blob, uh, all right? So big question number one. Big question number two, what is normal sexual behavior? Uh, we all probably wonder from time to time, am I normal if, fill in the blanks. Um, and it's interesting, as I read this summer, um, sex researchers tend to talk in terms, um, not of what's normal or abnormal, but in terms of what's typical and atypical. Uh, normal and abnormal tends to uh, imply a value judgment. So for example, if I s I'm just gonna make up a number. Uh, if I say it's normal uh, for couples to have sexual uh, relationship uh, once a week, uh, then uh, that suggests if you're sexually active more often than that or less often than that, then you're abnormal. No, uh, there's a lot of other factors at stake. Um, uh, and so, uh, so, so they will often describe what's typical uh, and, and so that attempts to take some of the value judgment out of that statement, okay? Uh, we do hope to share some statistics along the way. Um, again, not trying to, um, uh, trying to say this is what's normal, but um, uh, attempt to normalize um, some b sexual behavior and sexual activity and to minimize shame and guilt, okay? <coughs> uh, question three, what constitutes good sex from a Christian perspective? Um, and I'm not talking about techniques here. Okay, uh, I'm talking about um, what makes sex ethical from a Christian perspective, or what makes sexual activity unethical. Uh, so, for example, uh, is masturbation ethical? Is uh, sex while a woman is menstruating ethical or unethical? Is sex only considered ethical if it's within marriage? 
Uh, what about premarital sex? What about sexual activity between consensual same-sex partners? These are big questions, um, uh, some of which the church has settled. We're going to go ahead and put those, t those questions back on the table uh, and, uh, and, and at least ask them. And, and uh, I, I'm not going to guarantee that we're, we're going to get answers to all of them, okay? Four, what does the Bible really say about sex and sexuality? Uh, and does it speak with one uh, monolithic voice on the matter? So, for example, we saw on Sunday this very um, glowing affirmation of sexuality from the Song of Songs. But does the song uh, say the same thing about sex as Paul? Uh, not Paul Fernald, but Paul the Apostle. Uh, yes. <laughs> Maybe one week we'll invite you up to be a guest speaker. <laughs> you might not like that. <laughs> Um, what contribution does the church and tabernacle in particular have to make to this broader cultural conversation? Uh, I think we still have something to say about sexuality in the broader culture. Um, surely uh, our culture dominates the conversation, but I still think uh, the church has something significant to contribute. Six, how can we best talk to our children and youth about sex and sexuality? Um, so one of our major goals in this is to equip you all uh, and to equip myself and Sterling to talk to our children about sex and sexuality. Uh, how can we as a congregation best have difficult conversations about sexuality? Sterling acknowledged uh, the genesis of this. Uh, this, to some degree, lies in um, this, this cultural conversation about same-sex marriage and same-sex relationships. Uh, I have a hunch we're going to talk about that as a church at some point. So um, this question that I have is, how do we do that right? How do we have a good conversation about this? How do we have such a conversation with integrity and honesty? Um, and how do we have such conversations without drawing sharp divisions? Um, how can we, um, as Sterling said, hold the tension even when we find that we disagree? Uh, and lastly, um, how, how long can art really talk about sex without blushing? Uh, I might, we may have already answered that question. Um, <laughs> there I go. Uh, <laughs> I just answered it. Uh, <laughs> my close friends know that whenever this topic comes up, uh, you know, when we're sitting at home talking, uh, I always reach for a pillow to cover my face because I'm always the first person to blush. So I don't know how I ended up up here at the microphone, but uh, anyway, we're going to give give it a shot. All right. Uh, that that's what I've got for tonight. We have about 10 minutes before we said we're going to stop. Uh, I really am eager to see if y'all have questions or comments um, or answers. Maybe not answers. We're probably not ready for them yet. Um, okay. Uh, and, and recognizing that this is a safe space to ask questions. Uh, are there other big questions we should put on the table? Or are, are there assumptions that I'm missing? Um, or are there other ground rules that we need to be thinking about as we have this conversation? All right, what do you think? Yes, ma'am. So uh, uh, the question was, will we talk about um, sexuality and um, in, in uh, relationship to different genders, male and female, uh, specifically thinking about um, sexual violence and how uh, it's lopsided. Women experience sexual violence more than men experience sexual violence. What's contributing to that sort of um, cause? Um, Tracy is leading the conversation next week on cultural, our cultural context and um, 
uh, how our culture tends or to perceive sexuality. Um, from my conversations with her, we have talked about sexual violence, um, pornography, uh, strip clubs, um, some of the big things that are, uh, you know, uh, certainly present in our culture, um, objectification, self-gratification. Um, I do not know the extent to which um, she will specifically address the male-female dynamic there. Um, I will say that I'm grateful that Tracy and I are, are, um, are in this together because, uh, you know, we bring male and female perspectives to the table. So thanks for that question. What other questions do you have or comments? The question was, what am I most anxious to t talk about? Uh, let me pull up the, uh, let's see if I can look at the schedule. Yeah, uh, I have an answer to that. Um, there's some really hard stuff to read in the Old Testament. Um, some really graphic um, sexual imagery, some very violent sexual imagery. Um, and uh, quite frankly, it makes me cringe when I think about it. So uh, I'm a little nervous to delve into the Old Testament. Uh, and we're going to do that probably in a couple of weeks. So um, yeah. Thanks. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, uh, what am I most excited about about this series? Uh, two things, two thoughts. I'll see if I can remember both. One, uh, sincerely, uh, learning better as a church and as families how to talk to our children about sex and sexuality. Um, and two, uh, wondering what this place will feel like a year from now um, in terms of we've had this conversation. Uh, we're not going to talk about sex and worship every week, but is it a topic that we do feel a little bit more comfortable talking about, uh, both as families or friends or with our children? Uh, so will it sort of break some of that ice and, and change us for the better in the long run? Uh, that's certainly something that I'm hoping for. So thanks for that question. What else? Questions or comments? Uh, the question is, do I know of any other church or group of churches doing a conversation like this? Um, I don't. Uh, Sterling mentioned Virginia Union had a, a, a forum or a, a conference in January. I think it was for a week, so they had four or five days' worth of conversation. Uh, my understanding is that was a little bit more focused on um, uh, gay marriage and, and same-sex relationships. Uh, I think our topic is broader. Um, it was broad. Okay, great. Okay, fantastic. All right, so... Uh, um, yes, that was that was the one that I know of. Um, I have heard a lot of people say, wow, I'm really glad y'all are doing this. Um, and so I wonder if, as we have this conversation, um, it might be something that we can share with other churches. We'll see how it goes. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Uh, the comment was that um, uh, uh, this person is very grateful for the tone and one that allows for... Um, or acknowledges different perspectives in the room and different life experiences. Um, that's certainly a tone that we hope to maintain throughout the series, uh, and certainly one that we're trying to set up tonight uh, as I talked through my questions and assumptions. Um, yeah, the reality is we're not going to agree on everything. Um, I don't expect us to, but, uh, but we're going to keep the main thing the main thing, uh, worship of God, uh, love of Christ. We're all following Christ. Um, and, and doing the best we can, I assume, uh, yeah, so uh, we're going to try to be generous and gracious with one another as we have these conversations. Thank you.
Yeah, thank you. Let me, um, I'll say one more thing. Um, next week, uh, if Tracy's here, well, whether or not Tracy's here, we're going to talk about sexuality and objectification in contemporary culture. Uh, Tracy did want me to give you homework. She is a seminary professor, so there you go. Uh, Tracy wonders if you will bring in or email her images that you see or find this week that in some way objectify sexuality. Uh, and it's not hard to find, I promise, uh, once, you, once you start looking for it. Uh, just watch a few commercials uh, and so forth. All right, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Art. I love how you're blaming Tracy for the seminary professor homework, too. Uh, she'll say, and Art, because he's a seminary professor, wants you to do homework. John Kenny in January stood before us and he said, and, the, and this is a segue to Sunday morning because our text will be in Genesis. We're starting the narrative lectionary. In the beginning, God creates these two beautiful people and puts them in a garden. And their natural extension with their arms is toward the heavens with praise. There's a celebration of being made in the image of God. And their natural stance is a posture of praise. And it is the moment that they bite from that apple that they become overwhelmingly aware that they are naked and immediately their arms go from praise to the heavens to covering their privates. And, and the question is, is how do we reclaim the sacred where we find that our hands are lifted up to God in a celebration of what it means to be created in the image of God? This is why we're here. And so it parallels very well with this journey we'll be taking in the narrative lectionary beginning this Sunday where we find Adam and Eve in this year in Genesis 2. So pray about it, think about it, email Tracy or Art or me, and I'll forward along if you don't have their email addresses, and we certainly hope to see you again next week. Uh, with that said, we're ending 40 seconds early. God bless you all. Gather your stuff on your table. If you're not taking it home, make it easier to clean up, and we'll see you on Sunday morning. Blessings to you.